Hello, possums. I mean... (coughs) Now, you might not know that reference, but it's a term that viewers and listeners were called by Dame Edna Everidge. She has just passed away at age 89, and I wanted to do a short tribute to Dame Edna here at the start. So here is just a minute or so of her appearing on Jay Leno's show. The other guy that's sitting next to her is Ben Affleck, and is also, of course, Jay Leno. And when they reference Nicole Kidman, this was back when she was married to Tom Cruise. But I started a little acting school when I was a housewife. In my kitchen, I had neighbors brought their children. I'll never forget when Mr. and Mrs. Gibson brought little Mel around. Mel Gibson, wow. And then Russell Crowe is my godson. Russell Crowe is my godson. And when he won that Oscar, do you remember that? Oh, you must have been very Which you're going to get for this, whatever it's called, this lovely film. If only we'd go to Dame Edna's acting school for Armageddon. That's right, you there you are. With a whole different picture. No, 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 darling. You don't need my tuition, but they did, I can tell you. And Mr. and Mrs. Kidman brought little Nicole around. Oh, wow. They that's, did. that's very impressive. They wanted me. Of course, she's, she's been seeking my help a lot lately with the problems with little Tom. No. <laughs> she has. She said to me she wanted a shoulder to cry on, and she couldn't. With Tom, he'd have to be standing on a box or something. He would. He would. Bless him. He's adorable. Beautifully formed. He's beautifully formed. But when Russell Crowe got that Oscar day, do you remember he leant towards the camera and he said, (laughs) Thank you, Edna. That was meant to be. That's what he said. I saw the lips of that little Russell. I shall miss Barry Humphreys, the actor that created and played Dame Edna. I always enjoyed the humor. He was one of a kind. Rest well, the great Dame Edna. Also up front, I wanted to let you know that I'm having more tongue surgery coming up on Wednesday. It really is just a biopsy, but I'll be going under general anesthesia again And due to my tongue swelling up, I won't be able to talk for at least a few days, maybe a bit longer. So I'm trying to prepare a show ahead of time to put out while I'm recovering. I hope it works out. If not, I know you'll understand. I have the best listeners in the world. And I really appreciate you. And I would be back just as soon as I can. So, if you have been a listener, you know how I'm constantly saying, okay, well, here's a new show. I don't really like it, so I hope there's no new listeners to judge it. Well, saints preserve us. I have created a show that I am truly proud of. Now, the bulk of the show is a re-edit of one of the best shows I had on my first podcast, beginner diet and fitness show and this is from 2016 now i want to make a point about the show listen to the way i present the info coming up it is my old style of conversational material with my personality shining through 
I think I maybe lost that somewhere along the line as I tried to be more professional or whatever. And I do want to begin to move back to the way I was presenting information back then. So see if you agree. And I did want to play you an intro to the Beginner Diet and Fitness Show from 2016. Now, this is before my little bipolar self was diagnosed and on medication. So I am really, really peppy. (laughs) I think it's a riot. Check it out. My name is Joey Hernandez. I've been a personal trainer for over 30 years. I've trained hundreds of clients doing thousands of workouts. And now I'm host of a podcast and blog. I want to be your personal trainer right here online behind this microphone. So come on, join me each week. We may be getting older, but we ain't going down without a fight. Could I be any more peppy? (laughs) I love that. Anyway, it's too funny. And don't forget, my friends, I am collecting masturbation stories for an upcoming episode. Please send your stories to an older gay guy show at gmail.com. I need stories of maybe interesting techniques or interruptions or failures and, you know, any other story that you think would be fun to be listened to about masturbation. In today's show, the topics are very timely and important. I talk in this episode about pre-diabetes, the amount of fat one has on one's body, and I'm probably the one, risk analysis, and the Mediterranean diet. It's all truly important to those of us over 40 years old. But also, I think it can serve as a blueprint for how younger listeners might rework their diets for maximum health. I hope you enjoy this episode that I am finally truly proud of. I'll be back at the end to wrap up. Enjoy. This show is part of the Pride 48 Network. Find all the best shows under the rainbow at pride48.com. You know, today is going to be a very important, important subject. And, you know, I know I often say that. I always say every single thing is important. But this is because this topic, this condition is currently affecting an estimated 34% of the adult population. And for those of us who are 50 and older, it jumps up to 44%. And that condition is... Metabolic syndrome. Now, you might have heard that referred to previously as pre-diabetes or insulin resistance syndrome. Those are other names for the same condition. But let's start out by defining what metabolic syndrome is all about. Metabolic syndrome is a disorder of energy utilization and storage diagnosed by a co-occurrence of three out of five of the following medical conditions. Number one, abdominal or central obesity. Number two, elevated blood pressure. Number three, elevated fasting plasma glucose. Number four, high serum triglycerides. And number five, low high-density cholesterol levels, or HDL. 
And by the way, if you can't remember the good from the bad cholesterol, the HDL and the LDL, all you have to do is think about the word happy. So the word happy starts the HDL. That is going to be the good cholesterol. And this fifth category is when you have low, high-density, happy cholesterol levels. Metabolic syndrome increases the risk of developing cardiovascular disease and diabetes. And some studies have shown the prevalence in the United States currently to be an estimated 34% of the adult population, and that prevalence increases with age. So those of us who are now 50 and over, it jumps up to that 44%. Metabolic syndrome and prediabetes appear to be the same disorder. They're just diagnosed by a different set of biomarkers. So in looking at this disorder and the signs and the symptoms of it, the principal symptom of metabolic syndrome is this central obesity, also known as visceral or male pattern apple shape. These are people that are overweight with the adipose tissue accumulation mainly around the waist and the trunk. So in this first symptom, this is one that we can begin to evaluate on ourselves to see whether or not this is going to be a check mark in this first category of the five symptoms. So let's evaluate ways that you can tell whether or not you need to check off this particular symptom. Now, when we talk about waist size and the circumference of the waist, a lot of people automatically refer to the size clothing that they are wearing. That just makes sense, right? If you're wearing a 34-sized waisted jeans, that should indicate that you have a 34-inch waist. But that's really not true. The 34-inch waist is done by the garment industry, and those are sizes that correspond to clothing in the approximate size that you should be wearing. Now, a lot of people that do a lot of clothes shopping and have a lot of clothes in their closet probably realize that you can buy a 34-waisted pants in one style and a 34-waisted pants in another style, and perhaps a 34-waist from a European-made garment. And when you look at those measurements, even though the European garment says 34 inches based on U.S. measurement, based on how the garment is cut, how that garment fits you, might be different garment to garment depending on that size. So we can't use that as an accurate measurement. And besides, also the pants might be up a little bit higher, the pants might be down a little bit lower, so therefore we don't have an exact place to measure to be able to do our computation and see whether or not we fit into that category. So what I want you to do is I want you to obtain one of those cloth measuring tapes. You can get them at a Michaels store, I'm sure. You can get it at any fabric or sewing store. And that tape measure is going to be your best friend because it's a very flexible cloth measurement. And we can do that in different areas of the body as you develop your muscles and as you lose your body fat. But this tape is going to be especially important when we're talking about the measurement on this first symptom of metabolic syndrome. So obtain one of those tapes or borrow one from someone 
and I want you to go into the privacy of your home, I want you to take your clothes off, and I want you to run that tape measure right around where your navel is on your body. When you do the measurement, it's going to be natural that you're going to want to try to pull in your abs a little bit as you measure them. Number one, you're looking at yourself in a mirror and you just don't want to see your abs just poking out there. So you tend to stand a little tighter, right? But secondly, you also want to have that measurement come out as good as possible. I'm going to ask you to try to do completely the opposite. I want you just to stand in your normal stance, relax your abs, and let them protrude as much as they naturally do. Then I want you to run this tape measure around at your navel. That is going to be the measurement that we are going to use for the indication of whether or not this first symptom is one that you need to check off. Now, before we get into the actual measured number, let's talk a little bit about body fat in general. Most people, when they look at their body, are seeing what is called subcutaneous fat. That is fat that is below the skin, but lays on top of the muscle. That is the kind of fat that you see jiggling on your body. It's the kind of fat that if you took your fingers, you could pinch a bunch of it. That is subcutaneous fat. And most people, when they talk about body fat and wanting to lose body fat on their body and look better, that subcutaneous fat is what they're talking about. When your body fat is analyzed, if you go to a trainer or a gym where they're going to do a body fat computation for you, what used to be done is that trainers would use an instrument called caliper. And the calipers would pinch your body in different places and based on how much fat that caliper could pinch, the trainer would write down that number and after a specific number of measurements in different parts of your body, they would add up the numbers and refer to a chart based on your sex and your age and it would tell the approximate percentage of body fat that you have. That was how we did it all through the 80s. Now, the problem with calipers is that, number one, a lot of people vary their technique in actually how they pinch. So you might go from one trainer to another trainer who uses these calipers, and you might get a different measurement just because they are used to taking it a little bit differently. But the big difference, and why we don't use calipers much anymore, is that calipers measure just this subcutaneous fat, the fat that is underneath your skin and on top of your muscle, because that is what can be pinched between the parts of the instrument of the calipers. Now, come along in the 90s, we came out with what's called electrical impedance. This is where a light electrical current is sent through your body, and based on the measurement that this electronic current can do, it will give you an approximate measurement of what your body fat is. This was a better type measurement, and because it was a better type measurement and it was more accurate than the calipers, and because people wanted to be able to do this on their own, a lot of scale manufacturers started building in electrical impedance body fat measurement in addition to it giving you your weight. Now, if you have recently bought a scale, I'd say in the last 10 years or so, chances are it's an electronic scale and body fat percentage is one of the things that it will give you. 
I want you to be aware that this measurement is a better measurement of your body fat than the calipers. It's not quite the very best. The very best is called hydrostatic weighing. And in order to obtain that, you would have to go to a university or a sports complex, somewhere where they do the very intricate, very accurate body fat measurement for athletes. And what they do is they dunk your body into a tank of water. And based on water displacement and your flotation abilities, there's all kinds of things that factor into it, I guess. They come up with a very accurate amount of what your body fat is. But these electrical impedance scales is what most of us work with. The benefit of the electrical impedance over the calipers is not only that it's easier and you can do it yourself, but because the electrical current goes through you, it reads not just the subcutaneous body fat that you can pinch, but it also measures deep visceral body fat. This is fat that is underneath the muscle that is in your core. And that's why this becomes extremely important to know this measurement. This deep visceral body fat that is in your core is actually necessary. It more or less pads your organs and keeps them from banging together when you're moving around. So having some fat there is necessary for your body's day-to-day -day operation. So we never would ever want all of that fat to be gone. Your body needs a certain amount of fat. However, when the visceral fat becomes extreme, when that fat is built up in your core, it moves from just being there to be able to pad your organs to be starting to surround them and extending your abs out further and further, pushing the abdominal muscles out further and further. So this fat now can deposit around the liver, it can deposit around the heart, and over time, it can start to affect the true operation of these organs in your body. So visceral body fat, we can now get on these electrical impedance scales, and that's a very important measurement that we need to be able to do. Now, that's a little bit different than we're talking about putting the tape measure around you, but I want you to realize that this tape measure is going to measure the subcutaneous body fat that you can see that jiggles, but also because the abs are extended out because of potential visceral fat behind the muscles. That's why this measurement can be quite extreme. Now, in the years that I've been doing personal training, I have noticed a very unique situation that I sometimes run into with people that work out quite hard. They're doing their cardiovascular, they're doing their strength training, they're doing their abdominal work, but for whatever reason, maybe they're just not on board yet with changing their diet to a healthier, more nutritious diet, and they tend to eat a lot of junk foods. And they get, I guess, what is a false sense of security. Because if you're working out and you're doing what you're supposed to, unfortunately, sometimes even if you put garbage into your body you're offsetting it by the workout. So it's not the healthiest way to eat, but people aren't seeing such a negative result happening. So they could be working their body out so visually when they look in the mirror, they look pretty darn good. They're building muscle. They have some sort of abdominal development showing a little bit, 
But because they're not putting the proper nutrition, the proper fuel into their body, their body is actually going to start accumulating body fat because they're eating higher calories, high fat, high saturated fat, high carbohydrates. So they're eating this crap. Now, what happens, and this is a very unique condition that I've, I've seen I've, in my years. I bet I've seen at least 100 people over the years have this. What happens, it seems to me, that when you're working out, especially when you're doing a lot of abdominal work, a lot of crunches, and you're constantly contracting the muscle back and forth, it seems that it doesn't allow the subcutaneous body fat. Again, that's the body fat that's over the muscle. It doesn't seem to allow that subcutaneous body fat to occur in certain areas. It just, I guess, because you're moving your body and you're contracting the muscles, it just tends to push the fat potentially into other areas. It doesn't work this way with everyone, but I've seen some very intense people that are really into working out and thinking they know what they're doing, but because they have such crap food, they develop this condition of the visceral body fat. So if the body fat can't form on top of your abs, it has to form somewhere, and what happens is it will form into this visceral fat, the fat that is underneath the muscle. Think of a professional bodybuilder that does contests. If you have seen a bodybuilder that gets cut way down and shredded and they do a contest and they look really spectacular, and then you see that same competitor a number of months later in what's called the off-season when they're training a little bit but not to the extreme and they're letting their diet go more and more, if you ever to see one of those athletes with their relaxed abdominal area, what you'll see is a little bit of an outline of six-pack showing, but their abs are tremendously extended out because as their body puts on body fat from the food that they are now allowing themselves to eat, the fat tends to build behind the muscle. It tends to build as this visceral deep body fat, and that can be very dangerous. So let's go back to the tape measure for a moment. So if you're putting the tape measure around at your navel and you're getting that measurement, realize that if you relax your abs out, you are going to get a measurement of the subcutaneous fat that is the fat you can see. And just because the visceral fat builds and pushes your ab muscles out further, you are going to get a little bit of a reading of what that visceral fat is doing to you. Years ago, I used to volunteer at conferences when they'd come into Boston. There'd be various athletic conferences that were held, and I would volunteer to go in and I would do body fat computations for people. These were athletes in various sports and organizations that they were kind of doing like a conference weekend where they'd have an awards dinner, and they'd have activities for them to do throughout the day. So I had set up a station where people could come and I would do their body fat analysis for them. And this was in the very early 90s when this electrical impedance measurement was just being started to be used. It wasn't quite in the home scales yet, but we had devices that people could hold on to and it would measure their body fat just like the scale does. It was just kind of one step back from what we now have with the scales. And on one of these conferences, I specifically remember it was a conference that 
was geared towards female athletes. And I had these women come in that were very athletic. And if you were to look at them from a distance or, you know, a few feet away, they looked really in shape. So they would come in to me and I would do their body fat analysis. Now, remember, up to that point, they were probably tracking their body fat, but they were used to doing the caliper method, which is the pinching of your body fat. And because they're athletes and because the body fat below the skin on top of the muscle, that subcutaneous body fat, is less on them, they probably were getting very low caliper readings. So they were like, yes, this is great. I'm doing the right thing. I'm in shape. I'm fit. I'm a great athlete. So here they come up to me and I use this electrical impedance measurement on them. And because the electrical impedance sends that little electrical current through you, it's going to give a reading of the subcutaneous and the visceral body fat. So rather than them getting a measurement of 8% or 10%, they were getting measurements of 28%. And a lot of these women were freaking out. They even went and complained to the director of this particular conference saying, I was out of my mind. There's no way that they were 28% body fat. They've had their body fat done regularly all the time, and they know they're around 8-9%. They didn't understand the concept of what the visceral fat measurement was. So now here we are, 25 years later, we have these home scales that we can do our own measurement on. And we have to start paying attention not just to the scale number, but to what that body fat percentage number is. So for your frame of reference, should you have one of these electrical impedance scales, the average person, the average person just kind of walking along, doesn't work out that much, basically lives a lifestyle of not sitting on their butt on the couch all the time, but you know, they're moving around. The average person, for women, it should fall between 25 and 31%, and for men, it should fall between 18 and 24%. However, those of us listening to this podcast, we are not the average person. We want to be better than that. We want to be fit. We want to be in the category of fitness. And for fitness, as determined by the American Council on Exercise, Women should be 21 to 24% and men 14 to 17%. Now, obese, what would be considered to be obese, is for women anything 32% and above, and for men anything 25% and above. And if you have an electrical impedance scale and you go and stand on it, you're going to freak out because obese, you'll be very surprised at a lot of us fit into that category. So you think, well, that's ridiculous. You know, I work out, I eat pretty good, I do my cardio, I do my ab work, I think, you know, I'm moving in the right direction. But this scale says, you know, if you're a guy, say the scale says you're 26%. The reason it's saying that is, again, because of this visceral fat that we can't see And it's the fat that's the most important thing. It just gives you the overall fat percentage. But we can work with these numbers. We can aim for women to be 21 to 24%. And for men, we can aim for 14 to 17%. Okay, back once again to the tape measure around your waist. Hopefully you haven't been standing there tapping your foot waiting to do this measurement. We're going to base the measurement on what is given to us by the American Heart Association. 
And they have determined that for men, if you're measuring around your navel with your abs relaxed, if you are greater than 40 inches, and for women, if you're measuring around your navel, if it's greater than 35 inches, you have to put a check mark next to this first symptom of the five symptoms of metabolic syndrome. Okay? Now, I gave you all that spiel about the body fat scale because although the body fat percentage is not directly mentioned in any of these symptoms, I really want you to begin to pay attention to what your body fat percentage is. I certainly want you to exercise. I certainly want you to eat right. But it's very important also that we're aware of what our body fat percentage is. And if you've listened to the earlier podcasts that I did that are now gone off the listings, I used to talk about what my body fat percentage was all the time. And that's based on this electrical impedance measurement. But with this first symptom of metabolic syndrome, for men, if it's greater than 40 inches, or women, if it's greater than 35 inches, put a check mark next to the first of these five categories. The second symptom is elevated blood pressure. Now, this again is something that we can obtain the measurement ourselves. If you go regularly to a doctor or you have your annual physical, one of the things that will be done at the very beginning of your appointment is usually a nurse practitioner will come in and take your vitals and write those down so the doctor has access to them when the doctor comes in. And blood pressure is one of those measurements. So if you've recently had that done at a doctor's office, great. If you haven't, you might want to go into one of those places like a Walgreens or a CVS or one of those pharmacy places, and they'll often have a blood pressure machine there where you can just put in a little bit of money and it gives you a reading right away. In this second category, if your blood pressure is equal to or greater than 130 over 85, or if you are already using medication for hypertension, you will check off the second in these five categories. The third, fourth, and fifth ones are all something that has to be done by your doctor. So what I would like to suggest to you is if you have one of these first two things, your waist circumference is too high or your blood pressure is too high, I strongly suggest that you go into your doctor and let them know that and just have your doctor check whether or not he or she feels like you do have metabolic syndrome. And they will evaluate it also based on these other three conditions. And what it is is elevated triglycerides that are equal to or greater than 150, reduced happy good cholesterol for men less than 40 milligrams per deciliter, for women less than 50 milligrams per deciliter. And the final fifth one is elevated fasting glucose if that's equal to or greater than 100 milligrams per deciliter, or if you are currently using a medication for hyperglycemia, you also get a check mark in this category. So these are the five symptoms that when looked at together, if you have three of those five, you would be considered as having this metabolic syndrome. Now, what causes the metabolic syndrome in the first place? Well, certainly poor eating, a poor diet that consists of a lot of the fast foods that would be high in saturated fat and high in carbohydrate content and high in calories, that's certainly going to add that visceral fat to your body, 
potentially also, of course, subcutaneous fat on your body, and you'll notice that if it's there. But also there are other causes that could enter into this picture. Stress is one of the things that seems to have research indicate that a prolonged chronic stress condition can contribute to the metabolic syndrome because it disrupts the hormonal balance of your pituitary adrenal axis. Overweight and obesity, obviously based also on eating. Sedentary lifestyle, many components of metabolic syndrome are associated with a sedentary lifestyle. And this includes the increase in the adipose tissue in the central part of your body. It will also have the reduced happy cholesterol. It will tend to bring you increased triglycerides, blood pressure, and glucose Compared with individuals who watch television or videos or use their computers for less than one hour a day to those who are carried out these behaviors for greater than four hours daily, they have a twice-fold increase risk of this metabolic syndrome. So the more active you are, the better chance that you're not going to have the metabolic syndrome. Aging in general is one of the causations. Metabolic syndrome affects 44%, as I said at the beginning, 44% of the U.S. population older than 50. Diabetes, coronary heart disease, lipodystrophy, schizophrenia and other psychiatric illnesses, and rheumatic diseases are all things that can cause the metabolic syndrome. Now, there are a multitude of reasons why having the metabolic syndrome is so bad for us. It can really affect our long-term health. An increase in the adipose tissue around your middle also increases the number of immune cells present within, which play a role in inflammation. Chronic inflammation contributes to an increased risk of hypertension, arterial sclerosis, and diabetes. Metabolic syndrome is also a risk factor for neurological disorders, including one that's called neuropathy, which is a very painful nerve condition where you get burning and tingling and electrical shock feelings, including a numbness in your extremities. And it can advance also into your core. And, of course, moving into type 2 diabetes, it is the number one reason why people now were seeing such an increase in type 2 diabetes. Remember, metabolic syndrome is known kind of as the pre-diabetes. So if you have this condition, the great thing is it may not be too late. Go to your doctor, have yourself evaluated, and see what your doctor has for a long-term plan to deal with this and hopefully reverse it. Now, what we can each do in our own lives, whether we have metabolic syndrome yet, or maybe we just have one of the risk factors after we see our doctor, he's not yet saying that we have metabolic syndrome, but we could make some healthy changes that will move us along so that we don't advance to the point of having this type 2 diabetes. And one of the things we're going to do is we're going to talk about messing with your diet even more than I've already talked about messing with your diet. We're going to look at the Mediterranean diet. Now, I know you've certainly heard about that, but we're going to spend a few minutes kind of analyzing this diet a little bit more and see whether or not we can work it a little bit more into our regular eating plan. But let me preface it by reading you this. 
Results of a study reveal that participants who followed the Mediterranean diet supplemented with nuts and the Mediterranean diet supplemented with extra virgin olive oil saw a reduction in blood glucose levels and abdominal obesity. Furthermore, 28.2% of participants who followed the Mediterranean diets did not meet the criteria for metabolic syndrome by the end of the study. And this comes from Medical News Today. So even if we have some of the factors here that we have checked off that indicate we might in fact have metabolic syndrome, all is not lost. We can begin to make some changes, slow changes perhaps, that we can alter our diet and that coupled with our exercise programs that we're all working on and our weight loss that we're all working on by eating some of these really good heart healthy foods, we're going to be able to see not only our body fat drop, but we're also going to see reduction of the risk that this metabolic syndrome poses. Research has shown that the traditional Mediterranean diet reduces the risk of heart disease. An analysis of more than 1.5 million healthy adults demonstrated that following this Mediterranean diet was associated with a reduced risk of death from heart disease and cancer, as well as reduced incidence of Parkinson's and Alzheimer's diseases. So, the Mediterranean diet, the specifics of it, the things that we can begin to do right today, the Mediterranean diet will be rich in plant-based foods such as fruits and vegetables. Where did we hear that before? Fruits and vegetables. Oh yeah, my podcast. Fruits and vegetables, whole grains, legumes, and nuts. We're going to try to replace butter with healthy fats such as olive oil, and we're going to begin to use herbs and spices instead of salt to flavor our foods. We're going to try to limit our red meat to no more than a couple times a month. We're going to eat fish and poultry at least twice a week. And there also is an aspect related to alcohol. And just because I want to be so careful with all of you, as well as care with myself, the alcohol aspect I'm not going to discuss today. But if you want to know more about the alcohol consumption, I want you to have a dialogue with your doctor about that. So the Mediterranean diet traditionally includes fruits, vegetables, and grains. In Greece, the residents of Greece average six or more servings a day of this antioxidant-rich fruits and vegetables. And I've told you myself that I tend to eat between 10 and 12 servings of fruits and vegetables a day. I know that's super high, and I can't expect that all of you are going to come on board that much. But if you begin to cut back on your meat consumption and increase the plant-based foods, such as fruits and vegetables, you're going to see an increase just happening to your servings of vegetables and fruits. They're going to go up. If you can get it up to that six times a day, I think you're going to do really well. Grains in the Mediterranean region are generally whole grains, and they usually have very few unhealthy trans fats. Unfortunately, trans fats are, are pretty much slowly disappearing. And bread is an important part of the diet also, but of course bread is a carbohydrate, so we do have to be careful of that. In the Mediterranean region, bread is eaten either plain or dipped in olive oil, 
It's not used with butter and margarine because that's going to contain saturated and trans fats. Nuts, if you're a fan of nuts like I am, it's going to be great because that's another part of the healthy Mediterranean diet. Nuts are high in fat and most of the fat is healthy, but we have to be careful because the nuts are high in calories. So it shouldn't be eaten in large amounts, generally probably no more than a handful of nuts per day. The focus on the Mediterranean diet isn't just on limiting total fat consumption, but it's rather about choosing healthier fats. The primary source of fat in the Mediterranean diet is olive oil. Olive oil is mainly a monounsaturated fat, and it's a type of fat that can help reduce the low-density lipoprotein cholesterol levels. That's the LDL, which we know is bad. And when it's used in place of saturated or trans fats, extra virgin and virgin olive oils contain the highest level of protective plant compounds and provide antioxidant effects. You know that the omega-3 fatty acids that we find in fish and in fish oil capsules can be very beneficial to the heart and can help lower triglycerides and decrease blood clotting. And they are associated very much with a decrease in the incidence of any sudden heart attacks. It helps improve the health of your blood vessels and keeps cholesterol buildup, plaque buildup from occurring and it helps moderate your blood pressure. Fatty fish, such as mackerel, lake trout, herring, sardines, albacore tuna, and salmon are rich sources of omega-3 fatty acids. And fish is eaten on a regular basis in the Mediterranean diet. And if you know me, you know fish is one of the things I, I really have a major problem with. And every few weeks I try something new in the fish categories and unless, I, unless I'm dumping a lot of spices and something else to kill the taste of the fish, I have a hard time consuming it. I take fish oil capsules based on my doctor's prescription to do so. And I am, big pat on my back, I am eating fish twice per week. I tend to go towards salmon or haddock and swordfish, I guess, because they're, you know, they're the less fishy, fishy, fishy tasting ones for me. If you're not a fan of fish, I completely empathize with you. If you are a fan of fish, awesome, because you're going to have a much easier time replacing the stuff in your diet that's not so great with stuff in your diet that is good. And again, alcohol is part of the Mediterranean diet, but I'm going to ask you to have a dialogue with your doctor about that. So any of these changes are not so different than what we've been striving in general nutrition to do. We've been trying to get our fruits and vegetable intake up. We've been trying to get whole grains and fiber into us, right? We know red meat has been bad. I currently, I think I'm eating red meat, I'd say twice a month right now, and I still want to get that down to once a month. I'm doing lots of chicken, and I'm doing lots of turkey, and I am getting my fish twice a week, but I think I'm going to increase my plant-based foods, my vegetables and fruits, up even more. So in addition to salads and in addition to putting them into cooking, I'm going to try to create some sides of vegetables 
and I'm going to work around with some spices and olive oil and see if I can't create some things that are tasty and really good for us and see if I can't get people a little bit more excited about vegetables. You know, sometimes we're still like little kids that push our vegetables to the side or around our plate, and we don't eat them. But vegetables are so good, and there's so many, many ways that we can consume them, whether it's juicing, whether it's salads, whether it's just put into cooking in general, or whether they're done as side foods. There's so many ways that we can consume them that if you're not a big fan of vegetables, then I think there's something that you can work with. And with fruit... There's very few people that don't like fruit because if you're trying to reduce your processed sugar, and we know we want to get that white table sugar and even brown sugars out of our diet as much as possible, the fruits are going to give you that natural sugar. You're going to get that natural sweet taste. And don't be one of these people that's, that raises your hand and says, ah, you know, I don't want to eat fruit because I hear it's high in sugar. You know what, folks? If you eat the rest of your meals in line with these changes that we're talking about, you can go to town on fruit every single night. It's not going to hurt you because it's offset by the fact that you're reducing your calories, reducing your saturated fat, increasing your fiber and vegetables, And it just makes a nice, healthy, rounded diet that we can all eat. But now, you know what? As we get older, no matter how happy we are in our lives, in our relationships, in our jobs, it seems that food becomes more prevalent for us. It becomes more of an emotional need for us. We eat when we're depressed but we eat when we're happy and we're celebrating. Food's always going to be a staple in our lives. So let's work together to try to refine it down to be the very best quality foods that we can. And then, maybe every couple weeks, we're going to have a bunch of crap. And then we're going to go right back and eat the good stuff again. And that, my friends, is how we're going to increase our nutrition and health but at the same time, be able to eat those foods that we love so much that are probably slowly killing us. If we eat them too much, but not if we eat them once in a while, right? Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed that. I'll be doing more on the Mediterranean diet in the near future. So meanwhile, wish me luck on my biopsy on Wednesday, and I'll be back just as soon as I can. I love all of you. Bye for now, possums.